And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose, of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away of the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Well, hello. My name is Nate Bush. Could be the lead pastor here at New City. Glad to study God's word with you today. Before we jump into the teaching, uh, just kind of curious. Uh, if you're watching online, you can uh, you can comment or just in person here. Uh, just who you're rooting for in the Super Bowl? Like, what's this all about? Are anybody anybody here like at present? I mean, if you're online, just write it in the chat. But if anybody uh, Kansas City, you know, fans, any Kansas City fans? Okay, got one, or two. Anybody rooting for? Um, you know, this next week in the Super Bowl, you're rooting for uh, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Anybody, anybody rooting for the nachos uh, or like the commercials? All right, somebody. All right, I've been trying to find ways to kind of get excited about this. Okay, this Super Bowl. And this week, what's going to happen is all the commentators will come online, and they're going to start kind of pumping you up and trying to get you excited about the upcoming Super Bowl. And they're going to frame it, because the rest of the team doesn't matter, they're going to frame it as a Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady. That's what they're going to do. And so I'm going to give you something to get you excited about it, okay? I'm calling this the Generation Bowl. It's the Generation Bowl because Tom Brady is clearly Gen X, and Patrick Mahomes is clearly the Millennials. And so we're going to find out which is the greater generation, the Gen X or the Millennials, this Super Bowl. And I'm rooting for the Gen X because I'm in that category. All right, so that's who I'm rooting for. I'm going to be rooting for Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, in the Generation Bowl. By the way, Tom Brady's 43 years old. Patrick Mahomes' dad is 50 years old, like seven years older than Tom Brady. So I, could, I couldn't be happier than watch the old man beat the young man. So that's my, that's my, that's my hope this year in the Super Bowl. It's interesting to me. I don't know if you guys get into this kind of thing, like the generation talk, like Gen X or Gen, Gen Z or Gen Y or Millennial Generation or whatever. I don't know if you get into that kind of conversation or if you like personality type indicators or if you like to sort of learn about yourself. It seems that I, I tend to gravitate towards those things. I'm a sucker for a new personality type indicator. You know, I, I want to know what friend on friends I am. I want to, you know, I'm all, I'm all about all of them, every, every kind, Myers-Briggs, whatever, whatever. I, I really am 
deeply curious about those things because I'm always trying to do that self-discovery work, you know? Um, and the question I, I really have for you today is the question that's raised of John today, and that's who are you? That's the big question in the text. It's a question I have for you. It's a question I think the text has for us. It's a, text, it's a question that these, uh, these Pharisees and Sadducees are coming to John to ask. is basically like, who are you? Now, if you're a good American, you will define yourself like every other good American. We, we tend to define who we are by what we do. That tends to be kind of our definition of things. Like that's how we tend to see ourselves. We connect ourselves to our occupation, to our work, to our accomplishments. We tend to build our value based upon our accomplishments. If I'm a good parent or if I'm a, a, a good friend, if I'm a good employee, if I'm good at you know, church life or whatever, you, know, you can build your identity on all kinds of activities and work-related stuff. And our testimony, like the testimony of our life, it tends to be a testament to what we do and how we have done it, what we do. That tends to be our testimony. Uh, I do this, and I've done this at that. And, and this tends to be the way we form our testimony. And that's what you really have here in the text. You see it in John 1.19. This is the testimony of John. This is testimony. And when we tell our testimony, typically our testimony is framed by a series of questions. If you ever go uh, to meet somebody for the first time and you don't know what to talk about, I mean, if you're a good American, this is what you do. You say things like, what do you do? That's like the first question. I mean, everybody asks that question as a matter of first importance. Like, you, you don't know who they are, you want to make small talk, uh, the, the weather's obvious, and so you just kind of go to, what do you do? Uh, how's it going for you in that job that you do? And how long have you been doing it? And we start to frame questions around the activities and the accomplishments of the person. Well, if you are uh, of the ruling class in a society, you tend to be really attracted to those questions, what you do and how well you've done it, what you do. In fact, you could say the ruling class, whether religious or secular, tend to define themselves by the amount of power and control they've obtained in life. So the ruling class, whether secular or in the context of our text today, religious, uh, tend to define themselves based on power and control. Uh, you can see this like happening in society in real time right now uh, in the meme stock kind of thing going on with GameStop and the rest of it. Uh, you have the ruling class going, wait a second, there's a way to do this and you're violating the way that we do this because we have power and control. We control the pathway. You can't just go invest willy-nilly Robin Hood generation. And that's all that's going on because the ruling class are saying something like, hey, we, we, we have a certain amount of control here. We have a certain amount of power here that we don't want to lose. You see it in John 1.19, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So they said to them, who are you? We need to give an answer, verse 22, to those who sent us. And so the people who sent are the ruling class. And the, 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 Jew, the Jews who are in the ruling class are saying, hey, John, you popped up a ministry over here. It seems to be getting a lot of attraction. Uh, you haven't gone through the proper channels. You haven't gone through, the, through the, right, you know, the right mechanisms. There's a power structure here, a control structure here. You can't just pop up your ministry and start doing stuff. So who are you? You could read into this, who do you think you are, John? It might be a little bit strong for this moment, but it's kind of leaning in that direction. Who are you? Who are you? And here's the big idea. You will not know right, who you are until you know who you're not. You will not know who you are until you know who you're not. Listen 
to the text again. This is verses 19 and 20. It's curious, like the way this text, I mean, every commentator has recognized it. It's curious what John, the gospel writer, is doing here with John, the baptizer's testimony. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Okay, John, what's your testimony? Who are you? Listen to how he describes himself. He confessed and did not deny. This is an awkward phrasing. Uh, He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. What's what's happening here in the text? (laughs) He confessed and did not deny. Why Why the use of all the negatives here? He said, I am not. I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And it seems as all that John has to say about himself is I'm not. It it is freeing to confess, by the way, I'm not. One of the most freeing things you can do in life is just say I'm not. For example, I'm not the Savior. I can't fix everything. Oh boy, if you can admit that, what freedom comes to you when you can admit, you know what, I'm not the Savior of the universe. I cannot fix everything. When you can confess that I am not in control, I can't make everything all right. Oh boy, but when you feel like you need to be in control, oh my gosh, the anxiety, the worry, the stress, the stress. But man, when, you can, when you can just say it, hey guys, I'm not in control. I'm not. I'm not the Savior. I'm not in control. I'm not all-knowing. I don't know how this will all work out. I mean, I've been struggling with this one lately. I like to make plans. I like to have a future that's predictable. I like to have predictable patterns in life and decision-making. And right now, I feel like I don't have a lot of those. And I just have to confess, you know, I'm not all-knowing. I don't know how it's all going to work out. I'm not. I'm not. Louis Giglio wrote a book called I Am Not But I Know I Am, a really phenomenal little book. He says, admitting you are not God, not in control, not running anything, not responsible for everyone's well-being, not the solution for everything and everyone, not at the center of all things, doesn't belittle us, it frees us. Just frees you from having to sort of play the Savior in every relationship that you involve yourself in. I'm going to press in here, and this is going to be, you know, for the generation, all right, the generation that received a trophy for just participating. Listen, all right, listen to me. You are not the star of the show called Life. You're not the star of the show called Life. Because you are not the star, the show doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on you, and you're free to play your role. You're not the star of the show called life. Earlier in John's gospel, you find in John chapter 1, verse 6, this really strategic and important phrasing. So John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, everything came into being by the Word, so the conversation here is about how the Word is divine, The word Jesus is God himself. And then he goes to verse 6 of John 1. There was a man. There was a human. 
who was not a God, a human. There was a human sent from God, sent from God, but not God, human. A man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the baptizer, not John the gospel writer. So John the baptizer. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now listen, he's not the light. Verse eight, he's not the light, he's not the star. He's not the star of the show, he's the witness. He's not the star of the show, he's the light. But he came to bear witness about the light, the one who is the star of the show. Again from Giglio's book, listen to what he says. Abandoning the tiny story of me, abandoning the tiny story of me and embracing the forever story of Jesus will allow our little lives to be filled with wonder of God as we live for the unending applause of his name. And joining our small stories to to his will give us what we all want most in life anyway, the assurance that our brief moment on earth will count for something in a story that never ends. In other words, when you try to be the star of the show, you'll find eventually that your star doesn't shine that bright after all. But if with John you could say, I'm not, I'm not the star. But Jesus is. And I, I exist to witness to his light. Boy, does that bring and pump meaning into your story? And does that bind your story to the story that never ends? See, John's attention is so fixed on Jesus, he's not paying any attention to himself at all. Another thing that's curious in the text is he kind of doesn't even under, he doesn't, he doesn't take opportunity that's right there before him. So uh, look at John 1.21. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. But the angel had already prophesied to Zechariah, his dad, that he will go before him before Jesus, John will go before Jesus in the spirit of the power of Elijah. You see that in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. And so what, what, what you have in the text is you have, well, John could have said, you know what, I'm, I'm not the Elijah, meaning because Elijah didn't die, he went to heaven, and so I'm not the Elijah come back to earth in and, and, and the physical form, but I came, I came in the spirit of Elijah. I'm here in the spirit of Elijah. He doesn't even do that. Why doesn't he do that? It's because he's humble. He's not thinking about himself. He really isn't. It's not, his, his mind isn't consumed with him. His mind is consumed with Jesus. Humility, I've often said, and I think C.S. Lewis said it originally, but uh, I don't mind if you give me credit for it, but humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. But to think less, right, to think of yourself less, there must be someone of greater importance. And John has found someone of greater importance. Listen to the language of John 125 and following. He says, they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither Christ nor Elijah or the prophet, and John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me. And this is how he describes Jesus, his relationship to Jesus the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. I'm not even worthy to be considered his servant. Just, just the humility of John in this moment, the clarity that he has about who he is not 
and who Christ is. We cannot know who Jesus, like we cannot know who we are, I'm sorry, until we know who Jesus is. We cannot know who we are until we know who Jesus is. John is saying, I am not the word. I'm just the voice. I'm not the word, I'm just the voice. Uh, listen to how, okay, he was, he's like, okay, you're pressing in on me, verse 22. You want to know who I am? They said, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who send us. What do you say about yourself? Like, come on, John, answer us. Give us some, something about who you are. And John goes, you know what? I'm the voice. Just the voice. I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So what's he quoting from? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the desert, a highway for our God. He goes, I'm the voice, making, making straight a highway for our God. You read just three verses later in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, the voice cries, uh, uh, cry, the, the voice says, cry. Uh, I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is like grass and all of its beauty, like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it surely the people are grass we look at our look at our 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 finite nature look at our uh, look at the fact that we are not self-existent look at the fact that we are totally and absolutely dependent upon God the grass withers the flower fades but the word of the Lord stands forever I'm just the voice I'm not the word life doesn't come from me I'm not the star I'm not the center it's all about him that's John's testimony Jesus is the star. He's the center. He's the life. He's the light. We have framed the gospel here many times over the years. I can't, he did, because he did, I can. This is a gospel. And it is freeing. It is freeing to say I can't. It is. Man, it's so freeing. I can't be right. I can't be good. I can't get get my life together. In fact, you can't become a Christian unless you first confess I can't. Because if you could, Jesus doesn't leave heaven, come to earth, live the life you could not live, die the death that you should have died, be buried in the grave, rise again, conquering your sin and death, giving you righteousness as a gift, and the Holy Spirit who testifies that that's true. You can't. But he did. He lived the life that you could not live. And he died the death you should have died, and because he did, you can. But you could put this a little slightly different way today, just in light of what John has been saying. I'm not. I'm not. He is. Because he is, I am. I'm I'm not the Savior, but he is the Savior. And because he is, I am. I'm I'm the (laughs) I'm not the word, I'm just the voice. He is the word that created everything, that spoke it into existence. It's all dependent upon his word. He holds it all together by the power of his word. I'm not the, I'm not the word, I'm just the voice. Because he is, I am. You're not the savior, friend. You're not. But you can know the savior. You can know him. Listen, you are not in control. But you can know who is in control. Isn't that good news? Like, you're not the Savior, but you can know the one who is the Savior of everything. You, you're, you're, you, you, can, you can voice, I know Jesus is Lord. You can voice that because you can know that. It's true. Like, you know the Savior. You can know who's in control. 
You're not all knowing, but you can know who knows it all. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. You can know Him. This is the only idea I want to communicate to you today, and here it is. Right? This is all in one line. To accept who we are, we have to admit who we're not. To accept who we are, we have to admit who we're not. In John chapter 3 and verse 28, you can see this is not just a one-off for John. This is a theme of John's life. John, here, the baptizer, saying, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not. You guys remember, I said, I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. A friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So I'm not the bridegroom. He's the groom. I'm just one of the men. He must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. This is the theme of John's life. I am not, but I know who is. I must decrease. He must increase. So what happens inside of you when you feel the need to increase you? What's the inverse of this? Like what happens when you go, I must increase? Like what happens inside of you? Well, I mean, the net result here is pride. This is something that God's very much against in the Bible. Pride, and I, and I do mean this uh, to sting a little bit, as you pretend you are in control. Because you can only ever pretend that you're in control. But pride, what does pride lead to? Well, pride that you, this kind of pretending that you're in control, leads to anxiety. As you realize you are not in control. Unless you're a narcissist, you will come to this realization. Because you know that you cannot control everything, and because you know you cannot control everything, the net feeling, the net result in your life will be anxiety. You feel like I need to control everything. I'm going to pretend like I have everything in control. I'm going to put on the face like I have it all controlled, but I know that I'm not in control. And that anxiety will give birth to anger as you experience life going out of control. And some of us are really good pretenders. We're really good at pretending we're in control. And we can fake it for a long time. And the better you are at faking it, the more angry you get. Because when life spins out of control and you've been pretending that you've been in control, nothing makes you more angry. And that anger will give birth to sadness as you accept the fact that you were never in control to begin with. If you get there. If you get there. What happens when you decrease as Jesus increases? What happens inside of you? What's the, what's the result in you? When you confess with John, I am not, he is. When you confess with John, I must decrease, he must increase. What happens inside of you? Well, one of the things is humility. 
as you accept Jesus is in control. You don't have to, you don't have to fake it anymore. No pretending. No, no, <laughs> no putting on the face. That humility will give birth to peace as you realize he's making everything new. Not only is he in control, he's fixing it. He's fixing all the things you have no power to fix. He's mending the broken world, restoring it back to rights. That peace will give birth to joy as you begin to experience his renewal work in your life. As you begin to experience, like he's mending me. He's fixing my broken story. He's fixing my broken life. And if I could just get off the throne and put Christ on the throne, if I could decrease and let him increase and give him authority and control and power in my life, I would experience in the everyday the joy of like him making me new again. I think contentment is another consequence. As you accept, you don't need to be in control anymore. This is a strange feeling contentment the impulse is I gotta gain control I gotta get control I must increase it's the impulse but when the spirit's speaking to you the spirit's going do you know like he's the word of God who created everything we're like grass but, but his word stands forever that he holds it all together by the power of his word like do you know that so before you put your hands on the reins, before you put your hands on the steering wheel, before you try to take control, why don't you try praying to the one who's actually in control? Asking him. He must increase. I must decrease. Look, to accept who we are, we have to voice who he is. We have to voice who he is. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look at him. Look at Jesus. I, I phrase it a little bit differently because it helps me, okay? Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away all the reasons we are not who we ought to be. Like one of the reasons our minds fixate on ourselves and trying to take control and fix it all is because we are obsessed with fixing ourselves. We just are. We are, we are people obsessed with fixing ourselves and we will turn to every which place that we can to find a fix for us. I, I say this all the time and I think this is totally true. That no one, no one needs to be told that they are not who they ought to be. I mean, the people who need to be told they're not who they ought to be are a clinical narcissist and they can't hear it anyway, but most of us, when you hear that you're not the person you ought to be, you go, yeah, I know that. <laughs> Very much aware of that. Thanks for telling me I'm not. <laughs> I knew, I knew it. I just didn't, I don't want to admit it, but I know it. Look, our soul needs, this, I mean, re I really needs it. Our soul, <laughs> what our soul needs to hear is that Jesus has taken away every instance when we were not who we ought to be. You're like, yeah, thanks, Pastor Nate. I know I'm not great. 
All right, thanks a lot. <laughs> this is a really hopeful sermon. Thanks for reminding me I'm not all the things. I'm, you know, I know that. I'm aware of that. Okay, I know I'm not. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. Takes away. Takes away. All your failures, all your shortcomings, all your sins, all your transgressions. Takes away. The image here is of the Day of Atonement and the scapegoat. That's what's drawing attention to the mind. You hear about it in Leviticus 16, 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put, it on them, put, put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. And so you have the scapegoat, the sins confessing the goat, and the goat being sent off, uh, representing the fact that God in his atonement is sending off our sins. Or to put it in the way of Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Takes away. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away all of your sins all of your shortcomings, everything, every failure of your past takes away. As far as the east is from the west, takes away. So Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, and Jesus is the Son of God who brings us into the family of God. It's curious what happens here at the end of our passage today in verse 32. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John's been saying, I baptize with water, but there's a Holy Spirit baptizer coming after me. That's going to be Jesus. He's going to bring about the age of the Holy Spirit. And I have seen, I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Here's what happens when we voice that Jesus is the Son of God. His Spirit voices we too are children of God. That's what happens. When you say, Jesus is the Son of God, he's, he's, he's my Savior, He's my Lord, you get the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God says in you, if you have the Holy Spirit of God, you too are a child of God. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. All this has been teed up in John's Gospel. You look at verse 12 of John chapter 1. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in His name, He... He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Like Holy Spirit born people, born again people, born again as children of God, adopted into his family. And when you confess that Jesus is Lord, what happens is the Spirit confesses, yes, you too are a son, or you too are a daughter of the King Most High. Uh, one of the ways I've tried to frame the gospel for you over the years is just by saying something very similar like this. I mean, the, the gospel is that you are more lost than you could ever dare dream, and you are more loved than you could ever dare imagine. In other words, like, you're so lost, you're not. You're so lost, you can't. You, you're, so, you're so lost, there's, you have no hope of saving yourself. 
You are so lost that you cannot be the Savior of the world. You are not. But God so loves you. Oh, He does deeply love you. And God the Father sent His Son to live the life that you could not live, to be all the things that you cannot be. And so it's freeing to say, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the Savior. I'm not in control. I don't know it all. I don't have it all together. I'm not. But He is. Like, He is. He's everything I'm not. He's everything I couldn't be. He is. They're like, John, who are you? John's like, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, who is he? That's the question. It's not, who am I? It's, who is he? He's the savior of the world. He's the star of the show. It's all about him. That's the wrong question. The question isn't, who am I? It's, who is he? Who is Jesus? Because I am nothing outside of him. I am not. He is because he is I am. No confession is more freeing and I could add more emboldening that I must decrease, he must increase. Because when it does settle into you that you're not in control, and when you are facing those things in life that you don't have control over, and when you're starting to, to, to settle into sadness or anger or anxiety because you know that you're not in control, and you just simply confess out loud, I must decrease, he must increase, what you're doing is you're surrendering power to the one who is in control. You're surrendering power to the one who does know it all. You're surrendering the, the, the sort of role of savior of my life and savior of my family and savior of my marriage savior of my career and savior of my finances the real savior who's got it all together who knows it all and when you bow the knee to him you go i'm going to walk in obedience i'll just whatever you i must decrease you must increase i will never be able to accept who i am until i'm able to admit who i'm not and sometimes that's where the confession begins and somebody needs to say you know what? I'm not the Savior. Just not. Pretending. And I may be a really good pretender, but just pretending. He is. Everything I'm not. I want to just turn your, your mind to Psalm 115. This is going to be my prayer over you. But I'd like for you to read it along. You don't have to read out loud if you don't want, but you just, just read it along. It's a communal confession of Psalm 115. Helps us to kind of know where the glory goes. Helps us to know that we are not the star, but we know who is the star. We are not a light, but we know who is the light. It just simply reads, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Not to us. Not to us. Not to us, O oh Lord. Not to us. But to your name. Lord Jesus, to your name. All the glory. All the glory. Father, I want to pray right now for our church. Um, boy, we live in a time full of chaos and a time full of uncertainty and the temptation for me, uh, <laughs> Jesus, is to 
um, grab the reins, hold on to the steering wheel, and steer the ship, and get control, and um, uh, some days I'm a better pretender than others, <laughs> but I know I'm just pretending. I need to say it. I'm not in control. I need to confess that I'm not the Savior. Could, could I just confess that for our church father, that we, we are not in control? We are not the Savior? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making yourself known. You are. You're everything that we are not. <laughs> and you call us your children. Thank you for letting us be your kids. It is in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.